Welcome to the Hear Me Out podcast. Today we're joined by Deanne Rudden. Thank you, Deanne, for joining us on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I just want to start out by getting a bit of a, a story about how did you first encounter the audiology profession and um, what was your first experience where you went, oh, yes, this is the profession I'm supposed to be in. This is my calling and this is what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. Wow, that's a that's kind of a heavy question, but... Um, <laughs> When I grew up, I, um, I grew up a while back, um, back when mainstreaming kids was really popular in the U.S. Um, I don't know if that's something that happens in Australia, but um, in the U.S. back in like the 70s, so don't do the math on that, um, <laughs> all of the hearing impaired kids in the county that I lived in in Virginia um, were bust essentially into my elementary school. So okay. I grew up with kids that wore auditory trainers and hearing aids, and there was some sign language, um, as they were trying to integrate them into the traditional educational system rather than excluding them or keeping them separate from, okay. um, so Although they had like a resource teacher that they would go to um, periodically through the day, for the most part, they were in our classes and, and you know, I became friends with um, a number of kids growing up that had hearing loss. And so wow. um, at the time, it, you know, it, it interested me because it, you know, it was different than me. And then Absolutely. I kind of forgot forgot about it truthfully. Cause I, you know, once I went to middle school and those kids went to a different school, I, mm. I kind of forgot about it to a certain degree. Um, but then when I got to college, I, um, started trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, and yeah. did like everybody else and took a course on, um, communication disorders and they wow. rolled into audiology and it was like, Oh, hey, Hey, there's that <laughs> sparked your memory right, from like, from oh, promise. here's that, yeah, here's yeah. that stuff that was really interesting as a kid. And, um, and so I started to really gravitate towards that aspect, wow. um, of hearing and hearing loss. And, um, it just felt like the right thing to do and, um, went to graduate school, uh, and, mm you know, back in the days when you got a master's degree. So I got a master's degree. That's what brought me to Colorado. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And at the time, I, I actually thought I wanted to work with kids. So um, I wanted mm. to be a pediatric audiologist. Uh, and so the University of Colorado at Boulder was very well known for having a strong pediatric program, and they still do to this day. Uh, and then Wonderful. life kind of had other plans for me. So I didn't end up being a pediatric audiologist at all. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm also currently going, I'm not sure which area I want to want to step into this. The more I've been interviewing people and the more I've been talking with different leaders and people in the different areas of the industry, I'm still very confused on which area I want to be stepping into, whether I want to go into peds, hearing aids, or... Um, diagnostic or well, there's quite a quite a range of um professions that i didn't realize was within audiology right 
Right. Yeah, no, that's kind of the beauty of what we get to do is, you know, you can have a wide variety of interests. And that's actually where I feel like um, private practice is really strong um, because we can integrate a lot of different aspects of audiology into one um, business model uh, and and continue to be interested. You know, I'm I'm Mm. not stuck in one particular facet of audiology. Um, in fact, a few years ago, um, we became part of the cochlear provider network and started doing cochlear implants uh, in our practice. Wow. And we have two partner physicians and um, it's an area that I never thought I would be a part of as a private practitioner. And um, it's been a really cool uh, experience to have both for, for myself, but then also for my community, you know, they don't have to drive, um, an hour away for services. They can be seen here in, um, their own backyard. Wow. Um, so continuing on from that, um, what's your current role, um, and for the audience, um, What are you currently working on and where are you currently working? Yeah. So I have a private practice. Um, My kind of interesting story around becoming a private practitioner, because it is something that I feel like found me. Um, I never set out to to be in private practice. I didn't have one of those moments (laughs) where you went, Oh, I can, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going out on my own. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I'll just do it myself. I, I never had one of those moments. Um, okay. I had been working, uh, at a hospital. I was actually doing interoperative monitoring. Um, mm. and I got fired. Yeah, mm. I got fired and I, um, I was a little bit shocked. Um, I was eight months pregnant uh, at the time. Uh, and oh my. <laughs> I, yeah, it was kind of one of those life-changing moments. And, um, you know, came home. Well, life tends to throw everything at once. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in fact, long story short, um, I didn't even know at the time that I had been fired. It was, you know, I was young. I went in for a meeting. <laughs> they said, you know, we're going to put you on permanent maternity leave. And I was like, oh, and, you know, as a young, naive professional, I actually thanked them and um, came home and told my husband and he said, you know, I think you just got fired. And it was like, oh, my God, like, what am I going to do with my life? Um, And So I called a friend who I had met through interoperative monitoring and I knew she had a practice here in, in Longmont, Colorado and asked her, you know, she had said, Hey, if you ever want to come to work for me, let me know. And I think I called her that night and said, um, so were you, were you serious about that? <laughs> Cause here's what happened. And she, she hired me on the spot, but I, I always joke that, um, she didn't hire me to be an audiologist. She actually hired me to be her receptionist cause she didn't yeah. have an audiology position. And so I started in the practice that I now own as the receptionist. So I kind of started in the mail room, so to speak, Bottom and up. worked my way up, um, <laughs> And fast forward about five years, and uh, she took me to lunch one day and said, hey, um, I have had a life change, um, 
and I need you to buy the practice. And it was like, uh, that was not ever anything that I intended to do, but, um, my husband was very encouraging and said, you know, I think this is your next step and it, it's been laid at your feet. So, you know, it's time to pick up the ball and run with it. And, uh, that was wow. 17 years ago. So, um, private practice found me and, and it's, it's been a huge joy and, um, a lot of work and, and something that, um, has made me a much better, probably a much better audiologist mm. than, than I ever intended to be. Absolutely. Um, what would be the biggest lesson you've learned um, transitioning from being an employee to being an, a business owner, especially in the field of audiology? Yeah. Where we have to kind of be specialists in quite a few areas. True. I mean, we wear a lot of hats professionally. Um, and then you add like, business owner and human resources and you know your your hat gets higher and higher social media marketing well that was not a thing 17 years ago I've, <laughs> I've become more of a social media marketer um almost by necessity but uh yeah i mean biggest lesson i learned is and it can it continues to be a lesson truthfully is to um be in some ways awesomely okay with everything like learning to to not get too high on the highs and too low on the lows and to just kind of allow things to be a little more even keel um mm. to roll with the punches and um roll with uh any kind of adversity and be resilient um i think wow. resilience is probably the the biggest key you know really to anything in life um uh, uh, but definitely being a business owner has taught me resilience <laughs> <laughs> but you know through through no um intention of my own yeah sometimes life just throws it at you and you have to dig yourself out of it yeah i mean you just gotta gotta do what you gotta do right um and keep Absolutely. keep staying interested and keep staying um you know in, interested and curious interested about, and curious yeah. yeah interested and curious so wonderful um so you're a fellow podcaster congratulations Thanks. on uh, setting up i think the second or third pod audiology <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, um, that was something that sort of got laid in my feet as well. It, um, I had done a couple of articles for the Hearing Journal and yeah. um, had a great connection with uh, one of the editors there. And I think right before AAA this year, um, the American Academy of Audiology meeting, um, I got an email from them and they had asked me if I might be interested in, in hosting a podcast. And it was sort of like, Oh gosh, that sounds, that sounds like a lot of work. And, um, yeah. they were very kind and very generous and said, um, Hey, if you can help find people to speak with and, um, kind of tape the, the interviews for us, we'll, we'll take care of the rest. And it was like, okay, well, 
that, that might be doable for me. I'm not sure I'm um, able to do a crash course in like how to do a podcast. Um, and so it was a nice entry point for me and it's been a blast. I mean, I've had so much fun, um, thinking about interesting people in our field that I either had a connection with or wanted a connection with and, um, being able to have conversations opened up a I've noticed that it's been opening up a lot of doors, which wouldn't have been opened otherwise. Yeah. And I mean, talking, getting to talk to people that maybe I, I wouldn't have had an opportunity to have a meaningful conversation with, you know, maybe seeing Mm. them in, you know, in passing or being familiar with the work that they do, but not really getting to know them. Um, so it's really interesting. You said, having a meaningful conversation with them because even with friends and and people we know and acquaintances it can be usually just in passing or a quick brief conversation but being able to delve deeper into their why and their history and their full life has been very interesting for me as well yeah yeah i mean i i feel like um it's been such a gift and I have enjoyed it mm. so much um, so far. And it's, you know, episode eight. So who knows? Um, but I, I'm really grateful because the Hearing Journal um, kind of made that a possibility for me. Um, I'm not mm. sure that I would have pursued something on my own. Um, I, I think, you know, having them kind of give me the support behind it was, um, such a nice opportunity to, to try it out, to see if it was fun. Um, you know, if it's not fun, you probably shouldn't do it. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you, you had the backing behind it so that you didn't have to worry about the, the back end of it. Right. Which is wonderful. Right. And also welcome to episode eight. Ah, is it eight? (laughs) Yay. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I was just thinking, oh yeah, it's coincidentally episode eight as well. Yeah, it's lucky number eight. Have you got a few more lined up? Um, Yeah, I'm actually really excited about the next one. Um, I'm going to be interviewing Alicia Spohr, who is the past president of the Academy of Doctors of Audiology, um, and talking about the new legislation that's um, being forwarded here in America um, the, mm. and I am embarrassed that I'm not going to be able to say the title of it correctly. So I should probably, um, <laughs> look it up in some way. I should have had that ready, but it's basically like the, um, audiology practice act where looking for okay. more autonomy, looking for, um, a greater recognition by, um, some of our insurance providers like Medicare. So <coughs> excuse me. Um, wow. Okay. So Alicia, yeah, I think the landscape is slightly different uh, in America as well. I'm sure. I'm compared sure. to Australia. Yeah. yeah so, um, Alicia, Dr. Spore, I mean, she's mm. been, um, a huge advocate, um, lobbying on Capitol Hill here in the U S and I'm going to attend lobby day, um, in November, November the 14th. So going to get a chance to go to Capitol Hill. That's something I've never done and lobby Mm. our congressional leaders and um, then have a conversation with uh, Dr. Spore about advocacy and getting involved and 
um, doing our part as professionals to forward um, audiology's greater mission, not just my own personal agenda, but um, how to to get us greater recognition from you know the public as well yeah. as uh, legislators. So, mm, I think one of the biggest issues is just the lack of awareness around the world of what we do. Oh my gosh. I have been trying to explain what I do for like 25 years. I, it's incredible that, you know, at this point in time, it's always a conversation. Like we should, we should get a, a professional wide t-shirt saying, I fit hearing aids. Well, and, <laughs> and do, I mean, not just I fit hearing aids. I think that's yeah, the misnomer yeah. is um, yeah. that I think that's what the public believes. And then, you know, trying to explain the difference between, you know, a doctor of audiology and a dispenser um, and no, Absolutely. no offense to dispensers, but um, there, there's a distinction for, for what I think yes. we bring to the table and being able to tell that story um, a mm. bit more effectively on the, on the yeah. public stage. What are some steps you think us as audiologists, as, um, private practitioners, um, people in the industry, how, what steps can we take to kind of raise awareness in the community, raise awareness in the general public? Um, I think we have to be a little more visible, I think, um, okay. you know, we, we do tend to have kind of a teacher facilitator, um, hand holder type of uh, role with uh, at least mm. clinically, um, and being willing to tell our own stories around what it means to walk alongside someone with hearing loss and to help facilitate that change in their life. Um, I think we've shied away from that. And I do think we've hidden behind product to a certain degree, you know, look at all this mm. cool stuff. Um, let me, let me tell you all the things I know about technology and about, um, the process of hearing loss or hearing better. And it's like, wouldn't it be magical wow. if we could actually tell the, the story of outcomes, the story of um, su success and struggle um, mm. and how, you know, we get the, the opportunity to, to walk alongside <clears throat> that person. Um, I think wow. we've shied away from, you know, shining a light on ourselves. We've, we've been mm. much more willing to shine a light on either the patient experience or the technology. And it's like, where do we fit within that? Yeah. Um, and I think your podcast is an amazing um, step in the right direction in getting both the practitioner's viewpoint on um, what they do as well. And, and yours as well. I mean, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed... Um, some of the conversations that you've had. And the cool thing about your podcast is that, you know, you get a much longer period of time. And so I feel mm. like it gets deeper. It's like you just take a deep dive into to some of these things <laughs> that I'm just staying a little bit more on the surface with. Um, I had I love the, the briefness and conciseness of your podcast. You have a real direction and a real... Um, 
kind of um, outline that you want to bring value to the to the end consumer and the person who's listening at the end like a real goal in mind which is amazing as well thank you thank you um i was listening to your podcast with brent edwards who mm. i had known from starkey um not oh wow certainly yeah, not yeah, yeah. certainly not personally um i actually um just had had heard him speak um had seen him at events um and had i met his wife his wife was a trainer she she did some Starkey training on product for us. Um, And wow, what a cool conversation and an opportunity, especially as a student. I mean, what what an amazing, cool thing to have this vehicle, to have a conversation with somebody as accomplished as as, um, Brent Edwards. So kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been amazing. The people and um, the reach has been getting, like I spoke with, um, people from Israel and Denmark and you as well in America it's been really I don't think any other vehicle would have really allowed me to do any of this yeah. which has been amazing and I mean what I always find just totally fascinating is I feel like we met through social media I mean, I yeah. can't even tell you the number of connections I feel like I've made because of social media. Um, it's amazing. But I do think you have the opportunity to feel comfortable reaching out to have mm. to have a conversation with somebody that um, maybe if you had to like go up to them in person. I mean, some some of the people that I feel like I'm connected <laughs> with now, I'm like, I'm not sure I would have felt Comfortable just walking and be like, hi, can we talk? True, true. So yes, love to get absolutely. To <laughs> um, going on from what you were saying before about we're not just hearing at dispensers. Um, I've been talking with a lot of people and I think one thing we have to distinguish is that we aren't just hearing at dispensers. Yeah. That we are moving towards a patient-centered care, we're moving towards truly providing the holistic approach towards the customer. And if all we're doing is dispensing hearing aids, we'll be taken out by the OTCs and the dispensers and the hearables. Yeah, I mean, I was having a conversation with um, a colleague the other day and you know, we both sort of decided that you know, over the counter, I'm less concerned about because that's always been there. Truthfully, I mean, yes. you can buy an over the counter product now. They just can't. They just can't mm. call it that. So, um, <laughs> for me, that's that's less of a threat. I think for what worries, um, if I'm going to be worried about an aspect of of this change in our industry, is um, the direct to consumer piece, where there there really is a desire to just move through the professional component and, and not acknowledge the, the importance and the value of having, um, a, a properly diagnosed hearing loss and a properly fitted and verified, um, treatment option. Um, mm. and you know, that, 
that piece that is so vital to success where you're really that person's communication rehabilitation specialist um, is, is being foregone just for, you know, the sake of, I don't know if they feel like it's more efficient. Um, but it, Mm. you know, it certainly is revenue generating aspect of it. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think we need to lean in on, on that piece of the puzzle that we bring to the table. I mean, the things that, that people that are truly successful with hearing healthcare um, yeah. have the guidance of uh, a professional along the way, whether that be for vestibular care or cochlear implant mapping or tinnitus uh, management um, or hearing care. I think, um, you know, the role of the professional is a, is a huge part of, of their success. Um, mm. And maybe we just have not, been willing to show our our piece of that puzzle you know i've been seeing a lot of links between uh, mental health and hearing aids and the profession of audiology and i think something we can be looking into is i mean in the future is um starting to integrate m health and e health as a gateway into audiology like there's now a lot of um, mental health resources online where before the person's comfortable with coming into the into the um, psychologist or the counsellor, they're able to send a chat message um, into the into somebody who can have feedback for them and have a real conversation and they move and that's moving over to phone calls and then maybe transitioning them into the clinic maybe having that kind of three-step process so that people know firstly what the profession is about maybe give them some counseling advice and then moving them on to giving them a phone call or video call and giving them some counseling advice there and then when they're really comfortable transitioning them into the practice yeah i mean i think we have to roll with it. I mean, I think that's one of the things that, you know, it's that resilience piece again. Um, you know, we can't be too resistant to the changes that they are, the changes are coming. So better to embrace that, um, opportunity to, um, be a part of the conversation sooner and maybe in a different format than we're accustomed to, you know, and, and I'm, I'm for it. I mean, I, I think the counseling aspect is, is a huge part of what we do. We often get a little bit shy about what, Mm. how we go about counseling somebody that, you know, counseling isn't just about like, well, this is where the volume control is. And this is where the push button is. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, you know, sometimes it feels like marital counseling, Sometimes it feels like, um, you know, mental health counseling. There's, you know, obviously links to depression and anxiety and all kinds of things. So we have to be um, versed in some of those um, mental health conditions um, without overstepping, obviously. Absolutely. Um, You know, I have a cognitive behavioral therapist on my tinnitus team. 
and mm. um, she does e therapy, which I think is fascinating. Mm. I mean, it, it's I have I have a life coach that I've been working with, um, and he yeah. lives in Ohio, so we meet via mm. Zoom or Skype call. So I mean, we Wonderful. have to be open to that kind of thing. Yeah, and we're doing this podcast online as well. I mean, I wish I was in Australia. I really do. I would. Wel- I wish I was. I would in- welcome that. Longmont, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, mind blank. <laughs> no, I mean, but I think you know. I don't. I think some of what what can happen to us though is that you know you mentioned earlier all the different hats that we have to wear and mm. um, all of the the expertise in different areas the you know having to be able to shift gears very quickly and there's um, a lot of integration of, a, of different types of knowledge that have to happen uh, in our field mm. and one of the things that I got interested in um, along with a couple of other colleagues Carolyn Smaka from audiology online and um, Brian Urban from Counselor where we've been working on a little project um, that we're going to present on at the um, ADA meeting in Washington, D.C. on burnout and nutrition, um, at least in audiologists here in the U.S., because there's not a lot of data. There's there's like no data. Um, There's barely any data about anything audiology. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, And and what we've collected isn't isn't even really data. It's more um, just observation and, and anecdotal information. I mean, I hope somebody decides to, to pick up the torch and actually get some, some real hard research data. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, being a student is, is a struggle when you're trying to find articles and you can't find any articles. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, that's, and it's real. Um, in, in audiology, I mean, I, even a couple of years ago, I got interested in the idea of the confidence gap in audiology, like mm. the difference between um, your view of yourself and your and what someone else views of you as you stand in your own professional autonomy. Um, and there mm. was like zero information as it came to audiologists <laughs> like, ah, we don't know. Um, but other professions have looked at these things, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, I, I actually did a little survey, um, with the confidence thing based on some information and and research that had been done on occupational therapists. And it's like, you know, we're, we're sort of similar to them. So I wonder what would happen. Um, and the idea of burnout, I mean, there's a, a lot of information on burnout with physicians and with nurses. Um, but, nothing other than I think there was one study in 2011 that um, Ian Windmill did where uh, there was it sh- showed at least in the U.S. a 40 percent attrition rate for for audiologists mm. which is high I mean that was kind of like shocking for me that yeah. um, it was that high but you know when you're when you're feeling um a lot of the change when you're you're feeling less in control um Mm. i think that that can kind of spark that feeling of you know oh my gosh i'm just not sure if i'm if i can do this so we wanted to to look a little deeper and shine a light on that and and interestingly enough so we did a survey um there were about 700 
people in our survey that were, they were kind enough to respond. Um, and you know, it just really echoed a lot of what we had been thinking was, was a part of what was happening, which is, you know, people saying that they feel a lack of support. They feel a lack of leadership. They feel like they have more and more demands for their time. And, you know, they are expected to get more done in a shorter amount of time and the documentation that's required and um, not feeling valued. So, Mm. I mean, I think. I think there's been an upward trend on how much we're supposed to be getting done. Yeah. As well as the amount of distractions which are coming in. (laughs) With everything, right? Not just, not just work. At everything absolutely so you're juggling um so many things at the moment being a private practitioner doing some research and also running a podcast how do you okay so seriously not research we have to make sure i make that distinction <laughs> i am not a doing researcher some, doing some surveys doing some anecdotal curiosity surveys study. yeah no not surveys, research yeah. um that you have to turn to some of the the, the real scientists in our field uh, for that kind of thing. Um, um, yeah, how um, how do you take the time out without feeling like you're getting behind on everything? Well, I think a lot of times I do feel like I'm getting behind on things. I I do feel like um, sometimes I have a, a few too many irons in the fire and. Um, that's that's real so yeah <laughs> time management is always a thing um you know learning how to turn it off i um i think a f- few years ago maybe 10 years ago i started practicing yoga which um i feel like saved Wonderful. saved my life uh my my work life anyway my home life probably too um and then I started teaching yoga, which was fascinating wow. and, and interesting. I don't teach public classes anymore, but um, on occasion I'll teach for like a teacher training here and there locally. Yeah. yeah. Um, but some of that technique of, of mindfulness and, and meditation and movement um, as an act, as a way to relieve a lot of work stress and and stave off burnout. Um, was huge for me. So making sure that you, you do kind of double down on self-care periodically um, because you can, you know, I don't care what field you're in. You know, there's always something that's going to weigh heavy on your shoulders or on your time. So. Absolutely. Um, wow. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, wanted to touch on your involvement with um, Stocky Hearing Foundation. Oh my gosh, what what an amazing blessing that has been in my life. I had I'm so honored to to have been a part of that organization. It's just incredible. Um, um, there's a quote online um, of yours which says, "You can use the vehicle of hearing to change lives. When you plug them back into what we take for granted every day, it's." Um, powerful beyond words. I really love that quote. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting to have had that experience, um, like 
20 years after starting and thinking that you've had all the feels, you know, all along the way, it's like, oh, I've, I've helped people. I've, I've, I've really changed, you know, I've been a part of changing someone's life. And then to, to be a part of that on, on the scale (coughs) and at the, at the level of need that the Starkey Hearing Foundation um, is able to address it is just phenomenal. Um, you know, they have, have really changed my understanding of what it means to be community-based hearing healthcare and how you help people and meet people where they are, regardless of their financial means. Um, mm. So, and, and the fact that they do this work and that it's, it is ongoing, that they've created a very simple um, and sustainable and scalable model of care um, that can be taken into areas where um, they may not have access to care or, or you know, have access to follow-up care. You know, it's one thing to... Uh-huh. to give someone the gift of hearing, it's another thing to make sure that they continue to have access to it. Um, What's the main basis of um, the foundation and the work they do? Um, The main model? I mean, the heart and soul of it is Bill and Tani Austin. I mean, they are it is no lie. I mean, they are the first ones there in the morning. They're the last ones out at night. I mean, they live, breathe, eat, sleep, helping people hear better. And I, I mean, it is, it has energized me as a professional more than I can even say. Um, but the, the Bill and Melinda Gates, they're the Bill and Melinda Gates of hearing care. There, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, it is their, their passion and their, they wear their hearts on their sleeves. Um, Tani Austin, especially, I mean, she has been just an incredible mentor and example of someone who is fiercely dedicated to what Mm. she does. Um, and you know, if I ever feel tired or undervalued or struggling, I mean, I just feel like, um, (laughs) I have to just take a peek over at Tani um, and the work she's doing in the world. And I can't help but feel like I can take on anything. I mean, she's, she's just that kind of person. If you ever have an opportunity to chat with her, I, you know, she'll knock your socks off more than words can say. But I, um, I, it was something that I had wanted to do for a really long time. And it was mm. like, I don't, you know, you sit there as a, you know, a, a professional and I, I have a, I have a one office private practice in a small suburb North of Denver. So, I mean, you can get involved in your own like head and story around like, how could I ever make a difference? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, um, get the opportunity to, um, work with the foundation. Um, a friend of mine, well, she and I had started watching the, um, operation change show that Starkey made a few years ago on Oprah network. Did you ever see that? Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Look it up. It's incredible. So we, we started watching it. It was like something that came on once a week and it was like, them doing their work in the world 
And then they had this contest, like you could win an opportunity to be on a mission. And so I was like all about that. So we started tweeting the show and like live tweeting during the show and filling out all the forms like, you know, oh, we want to win. We want to win. And they had this whole like passport around the world contest. And wow, um, it's a whole. Oh, it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Yeah. And so I my and I actually my my friend at the time, she won the contest. Wow. And she took me. So I was lucky enough to go to India with her. Uh, and we went to Bangalore, India. And when Tani heard that we were audiologists, she invited us to stay a couple of extra days. So I got to really immerse in the entire, um, WFA method of how they mm. do things, how they do identification, how they do the fittings, and then learned all about aftercare and these overlapping teams of people that are truly community based. I mean, they train like 93%, 94, 95% of the people that work. Um, in the areas live in the areas. So it's not just like, Oh, you know, amazing people from far away come in and take care of everything. And then they're gone. Um, they're training community leaders and, and teaching, um, how to continue care. They have a, they have a school where they're training hearing care professionals there. They have schools where they're mainstreaming, talking about mainstreaming, mainstreaming kids back into life. I mean, it's, it's so much bigger and richer than, um, just the idea of, Oh, I'm going to fly in and fit a few hearing aids and feel really good about myself. And then I'm out. Um, yeah, wow, so. that's a real transition. I think um, the outreach is shifting into as well. Like instead of just dropping money in the middle of the ocean, yeah. Like give a man a, fi- a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach him to fish, and he'll be able to sustain himself for the rest of his life. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, it's it's like addressing the problems where it's at and in the context it's at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can learn a lot from, you know, the model that even we have in, in the U S of, you know, how do we meet people where they live? How do we offer people better hearing, um, in different vehicles and formats and, and give them access, um, wherever they are. So, you know, I, I think the, I know in other countries, at least the Starkey Hearing Foundation has now gotten to the point where they're working with governments. They're working with um, wow. leaders in these countries to create hearing health care um, from the ground up in some of these countries. So, I mean, I can't, I personally can't say enough about my um admiration for what they what they're doing and how they're um they're changing the world and um and the opportunity to be a part of it is just you know i'm beyond grateful there's there's no words i can't i can't even say any words about 
um, wow. how amazing it is. What's been the most impactful encounter you've had with uh, maybe a young person who's who's been able to get a hearing aid or been able to get a the hearing sorted with with the Starkey Hearing Foundation um, with the foundation yeah yeah I mean I I remember it vividly it's uh it's it changes you I mean it like changes <laughs> your it changes your DNA it changes like on a cellular level um when you have that kind <laughs> it of, shakes you to oh, the core oh it does it's yeah. like it's now in my bones as as Brene Brown would say um <laughs> but I remember being in India and I think it was like day one of India um and I remember this little girl coming and you know she's sitting in the chair uh in front of me and we're you know in the method they start you know you always start from the lowest power level and you're working your way up um kind of like a carhartt method of um, comparison mm -hmm. um and so continuing to work my way up and i'm getting to you know more power and more power and more power and she's just blank and you and i was you know thinking to myself like i i'm a professional I've been doing this for 20 years and i'm like worried what are we going to do if we can't help this little girl and um tanny came over and we ended up with a body aid on her and i mean boom her body aid and you know finally got to the point where there was just this moment in time where i felt like time stood still and then there was like this light and this this recognition like like somebody had breathed life into her wow. whole body i'm getting chills it right was, now <laughs> i mean it just she lit up and it was like wow. somebody turned her on and yeah she heard her own voice for the first time she heard our voices um you know tears i've cried because i just like i was emotional wreck um <laughs> watching this whole thing happen and being a part of that um being able to be a part of her i mean her moment in life that everything changed so wow yeah i i yeah i think about her a lot i um I know that with the Starkey Hearing Foundation that she was in good hands, that she continues to get care. So I don't really have to worry about, you know, whatever happened to her. Um, I'm confident. Yeah. I'm confident that um, we changed the trajectory of her life that day. Wow. Yeah, you've made an impact in even just one person's life. Sometimes we just see the statistics, 1.2 billion people with hearing loss in the world, and we go... You're like, oh my god, how are we ever going to help them? <laughs> how do we even, even touch, yeah. or touch that number? Yeah, One at a time. I think that's the answer. Just one wow. one set of ears at a time. And just keep, keep going. And, and whether that be in, you know, a, a sea of people in India, or in my own backyard in my practice it's it's mm. one person at a time one life at a time and and know that the value that we bring to that that person um is important 
you know, we're, we're important in the conversation. Mm. What's, what would you say is your core motivation, um, around all the things you're doing around your practice around volunteering at Stocky Hearing Foundation? Like what drives you to get out of bed every day? That's a good question. Um, you know, purpose. Sorry for putting you on the spot. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I I feel like, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a profession that truly gives me purpose in life, um, and that it does really create a limitless opportunity to continue to not only be curious uh, and to learn and change and grow and evolve personally, but to, um, to help people. I mean, I think any audiologist you ever talk to, you know, their sole motivation is to help people. I, I got into this field because I wanted to help people. Um, and I think I, that still stands for me every single day. Um, I, I like helping people. I'm, and, and I, and I enjoy what I'm, I'm lucky enough that, um, with private practice for, for all the, the stress that it can sometimes, um, give, it also provides me a lot of autonomy. Like I was, I also teach at the university of Colorado at Boulder where I got my master's degree, which is kind of a fun full circle thing. Um, I've been teaching their business management and ethics class for the last few years. Um, and I, every time I walk in to a class for the first time, um, and I'll say, how many of you guys are interested in private practice? And it's like, no one raises their hand or like maybe one person <laughs> raises their hand. And it's like, yeah, yeah like, come on. <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, my goal isn't to like teach, you know, to make you want to be a private practitioner, but at the same place, I, I will say frequently, I can do anything I want to do in a private practice. Now I have to make sure that it is sustainable and I have to make sure that we can still keep the doors open. You know, don't get me wrong. That's the business aspect of it all, but we can decide on a dime. We're going to do this. You know, we can say, this is best practices. We're doing it. We're doing it. And when are we doing it? We're doing it right now. Like it starts here and now and with me and every single day we, we can continue to be better and we don't have to ask anybody's permission wow yeah i think that autonomy is something which is invaluable being able to truly change it up as you see as you see need yeah i mean we don't run it up the flagpole to you know a committee of 20 (laughs) people i mean and no offense to, to organizations that work that way, but I think the, the cool thing about being um, in a small practice is we can make things very personal. Um, so we can have relationships with people um, that are deep and meaningful. And then um, we can continue to, um, you know, make changes and, and be, be better. What's maybe one piece of advice you give to a 
new audiologists, either student or somebody just coming into the field, looking, looking around, um, what's one piece of advice you'd give them? Find a mentor, um, find mm. someone. Um, and it's amazing to me how you, people are so open and so willing to help. Um, we have an, we have amazing colleagues, uh, that are just givers in, in a, a wide variety of ways, but find a mentor, find somebody that you can call up when things are tough or, um, even celebrate with when things are great. Uh, they, you know, and they, they come in a lot of different packages, but I find the more that I lean in and, you know, pull my community closer to me, um, the, the better I perform, uh, and also the more satisfied and happy I am, uh, in the day to day, the reason why I get out of bed, the, you know, to continue to do my best work out in the world. And, you know, my hope is that as I continue to become kind of a more seasoned voice, uh, in the profession that, um, that I get to also be that for someone else. So I, I think, I think audiology has, a, has a bright future. Um, mm. you know, it, yeah, I've been noticing that audiologists by and large genuinely love people. Yeah. And we love what we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's been really amazing to see that I'm going to a profession, which truly has a heart for people yeah i mean why did you get involved um so i've had a slight hearing loss in my ear so i've been seeing audiologists when i was a kid gotcha. um thought it was a interesting profession just jumped jumped into it um but recently um i think one of the core motivations is of mine is to change lives yeah. And whether that's on a small scale or a large scale, I'm not too sure at the moment, but just getting the ball rolling on, okay, if my core motivation is to change lives, everything I should, should be doing should be aimed towards that. Yeah. And constantly checking my goals to see whether, am I truly living it each and every day to change lives or is my trajectory getting pulled away for for something else yeah yeah i i think if you stay connected to that then you know regardless of what direction the path takes you um you won't you you can't help but be fulfilled in in this profession and and i'm excited to see where you go from here, it's it's kind of a cool thing to like look you in the eye and to feel like wow, you're just at the beginning of your journey, and and what a cool journey it's already become for you. Thank you so much, Deanne, for your amazing time today. It was amazing speaking with you on all things audiology, including private practice and your involvement with so many different things, including doing new studies into new areas which haven't been touched before 
to um, your involvement with um, um, podcasting and your transition into content creation. Um, it's also been really inspirational to hear your story about your involvement with Starkey Hearing Foundation. And I can really hear through your voice and your your tone that you really have a true heart for people and that these experiences have really shaped the way you've um, practiced and the, the way you've um, approached your clients and your patients. And it's been a real inspiration and a real goal for me to set to to a possible trajectory that I can um, bring my career in the next few years. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for um, reaching out and inviting me to 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 have a chat with you. Um, it was my pleasure. <laughs> really appreciate it. I hope to like um, maybe entice you to do um, the same for me in the near future. For sure. Um, I will maybe get a better understanding of what I'm doing first. <laughs> we'll, we'll evolve together. How about that? How about that? Absolutely. We'll evolve together. And, um, you know, maybe someday I'll have an opportunity to come down and uh, check out all the cool things that are happening down in Australia. You guys have been doing a lot of innovating, innovation and, and things down there that um, through your podcast, I'm learning a whole lot more about. So thanks for bringing that to light. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to dive deeper into the world of audiology in Australia and I'm interested to see what you are doing and what the American brothers and sisters are doing over on that side. Yeah. Well, better together. We should uh, continue to collaborate. I think that's, that's the key.